Is this heaven? Uh, Sean, this this is a podcast. So you know what you're doing here. Mm. Sometimes I do wonder. Well, <laughs> he's Bobby Hensley. I'm Sean Styers. We're two guys talking sports movies. This is our debut episode. Yeah, look podcast. at us trying something new. Hey, <laughs> pretty fancy guys. Yeah, pretending to like each other. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've done that for a long time anyway, right? Yeah, just never this intimate. <laughs> so we might as well just keep pushing that narrative in yep. the podcast format. Why yeah. not? We're going to be watching a classic sports movie each week. And classic? We'll pick it apart. Well, some of them are classic. By classic, um, vintage, maybe. Just older. A sports movie. A sports movie. We start off, most of the good ones are, are pretty old. So, yeah. I mean, we're going to start with, with older ones. There's a tie-in for this first one that we're doing. Field of Dreams. Sure. As maybe a lot of people know, this is the 30th anniversary of Field of Dreams. And you were what, like two and a half when this came out? I wasn't even a glimmer in my dad's eye at the time. <laughs> no, um, I know you was, got your White Sox hat on backwards, yeah, well, by the way. Yeah, well, that's the thing I was going to get into, but um, they really romanticized the Black Sox scandal. Yeah, which they is, do. That's a good. But we can get into that later. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, when was the last time you saw it first? We both watched it this week, or at least I did. I watched it this weekend. Yeah, I watched did it yesterday. Did you fulfill the assignment? Okay, so you watched it yesterday as of this recording. How yeah. long had it been, do you think, since the last time you watched it? Uh, here, I'll date my since college probably, so probably. That's like, what, 10, 15 years? Yeah, I was going to say about 12, So it's years been ago. a while. Yeah. How many times do you think you've seen it? Altogether, not that many. Honestly, probably three or four. Okay, all right. I do have a few years on you, and yeah. I don't know if we want to date ourselves with. I mean, you. So, so seriously, you were like what four? Nineteen eighty nine is when this came. Yeah, out. I was three, born eighty five. So yeah, four. okay. All right, I was born well before eighty five. I'm not pushing seventy, but <laughs> nah, I'm not pushing sixty. Sixty eight counts. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, I mean, I've seen it a few. I've probably seen it at least. Ten times plus flipping around on the TV and seeing parts of it. Other sure. times, I would say I do own the DVD. So, and, it, and it's funny about when you buy the DVDs. I don't know about you, but do you own many DVDs? See, this is where one? we're going to date ourselves because you own the DVD. More, you're more and I stream it off Apple exactly. Movies. I do stream stuff, but I never even thought mm-hmm. about Apple Movies, yeah. for example. But usually, what happens with me and buying the DVDs is I've got this two big shelves full of DVDs. And if you're lucky, you watch them maybe once after you buy them. Yeah, I was going to say, how often do you actually go into that stack right. of DVDs and pick one out to watch? We're having a garage sale, and my yeah. wife is like, so are you going to go through those DVDs and get rid of them? A anything? quarter each. Yeah. No, that's not happening, so just forget about yeah. that. It's a collection. It's like music, right? That's exactly right. It had probably been, gosh, I don't know, at least 10 years for me, too, since I remember seeing it anyway. So it'd be, it's been a while for both of us. So we got to sort of get a... A fresh sense of the movie, both of us watching it over the weekend. I was surprised how young Kevin Costner looked. I'm like, wow, this is an old movie. He really does because, and we'll talk about characters and all that kind of stuff as we go through this and and recasting potentially and all that kind of stuff. But like, when you have to think about, okay, he was this old. I think he says he's 36 in the movie. Right. Never that, anything crazy. Right. So you have to like when you're when you're thinking about okay who else could have played this part for example you have to think about 1988 essentially when they were casting this thing right and There's, how old guys were yeah, back somebody's then. 33 now they weren't even alive then exactly exactly so did your opinion of the movie change at all after watching it wow opinion um not good really. bad indifferent I it's always weird this movie in particular to me because it 
it's classified as a baseball movie, right? Right. But it's more sci-fi almost. There's there's a lot of like mixed in with that. That's a good point because you have to obviously if you're going to buy into any of the premise, you have to suspend some disbelief. The fact that that uh, one a ghost is going to be talking to a guy in a cornfield, <laughs> right? And then and it's good they do it right off the bat. I right. think because you get the you know he, they go through that opening montage of he sets up kind of where he is and how right. he got there, and then the first solo scene he's walking in the cornfield and he hears. The voice. So, like, one of the things I remembered from the movie is I was like, well, I can't remember how quick everything it goes, but it all actually flows pretty well. You're never having that much downtime. They introduce mm-hmm. you to the, the cornfield pretty quick. They introduce you to the people disappearing and coming out. Um, I mean, in the real time, they show snow. So, obviously, in the movie, they want you to think he waited a while. Right. Um, AFI actually listed the movie as number six in its fantasy genre. Really? Yeah. Interesting. See, and, and again... I think the big debate about this has always been, is it a baseball movie? Is it a relationship movie? That's the two. Well, you said that it's topical. But the sci-fi thing is is another element to it because you've got time travel involved. <laughs> yeah, You're walking right. through small town Chisholm, Minnesota. Right. You're seeing things up on this scoreboard I mean, at Fenway uh, Park. Doc always comes back and then you yeah. pick him up as a kid. And Crossing then, the line. And he's obviously a time traveler. So, And then even like the players – the White Sox, of course, those are the first who come back. The the uh, they ate from the Black Sox scandal. One of them talks about. I think it was I died in nineteen seventy one, so I haven't smoked in X amount of years. So they obviously have both forward and backward cognition of of who they are. Things that even happened before they are essentially when they're appearing to him in the movie. Right, and they're coming back as the the version of themselves they want to be from the baseball era, but. You know, all those guys were passed away by then. Shoeless Joe died in 1951, I think. Mm-hmm. But they they obviously set the tone for the movie, but then I would like to go back, and they started mentioning when uh, Doc came back, all the other players that were playing in the game. Like Mel Ott was mentioned. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Mel Ott, there was another one I can't think of now off the top of my head, but I think I've got it written down here. Yeah, if you yeah. can read your own handwriting, yeah, that'd be exactly. great. Exactly. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's part of the problem is all these scribbles yeah. that I have. But, yeah, I, yeah, there were a lot of different players that he mentions. Uh, I think Joe Wood, maybe, yeah. was one of them. Yeah. So, yeah. And, I mean, the movie was – I didn't know that the movie was based on a book. Maybe that's dating myself again, but the book came out in 1982. Mm-hmm. And I – it's called Shoeless Joe, and did you know that they called uh, the production company Universal said they wanted a different version of the title? Because, I did know that, yeah. Because Shoeless Joe sounded like a homeless man that it they didn't, didn't want to. Yeah, it yeah. didn't screen well to yeah. the test audiences. Well, I guess. Just like us. <laughs> <laughs> that's you know, that's why it's a podcast and not video. So. Yeah, yeah. My opinion did, of it didn't change. It probably got stronger just watching it. It was it was amazing just kind of watching it all the way through. And you brought up another good question. Right before we started, what was that? What was that question that you talked about? What's one thing you learned from the movie? One thing I learned from, that maybe I didn't know before, before. What, this what, this viewing, and yeah. that was the interesting thing too. Because typically, when I go back and I rewatch, whether it's a movie, a TV show that I haven't seen in a while, there's always like some little thing that I pick up that I didn't remember. That you're on your phone with the last yeah, time, exactly. And, you missed, yeah. and maybe it's just because I've seen this one so many times, but there really weren't any new. Little details, I don't think, that I picked up on this one. But you learned what? Just the fact that it was a book? 
Yeah, I didn't know there was a book. Um, obviously, as a White Sox fan, I knew it was about the Black Sox and all that. But the, there was a book, and then they even threw back to it once because um, the first time he meets him, he, uh, Ray asked uh, Shoeless Joe, what's the best part of baseball? And he goes, The Thrill of the Grass, which is actually a book of short stories that the same author that wrote the book, he had a bunch of baseball short stories about. Really? That he wrote in 1985, which is after he wrote the book, Shoeless Joe, but before, obviously, the movie came out. So that was them uh, honoring that, and I didn't realize that. Very interesting. What? Uh, where does this movie rank in terms of, like, where would you put it in terms of your top either baseball movies or sports movies? So you picked this movie, and I've, <laughs> I assume that you picked it because you, you like it. You picked it really first. Indirectly, well, well, right on accident, but that's yeah. Well, it's also very topical because doesn't the movie really centralize around a father son relationship? Exactly, and it's Father's Day coming up, or that's when true too. I didn't even that think might about be that. After it, very good point. Yeah, well, that's, that's what I do. Point. I bring good points. What do you bring? <laughs> you try well, uh, you know, bring this bubbling personality. I guess right. Oh, that's, how's that going for you? Uh, <laughs> no. So for baseball, I, I was trying to not put it in my top five because I assume that you would. But I don't think see you, that's you. You always want to go counter without yeah. even knowing what the other person is going to do. You try to be counter first. Well, it's just that I know you well, so anything you like, I got to not like. That's you try to go the go. other direction. That's right. But um, yeah, I like. I wanted to put the natural above it. I think that's a great baseball movie. Yeah, I think that one's got a lot of uh, symbolism in it too. If you want to talk about relationships, for the love of the game, I really enjoyed that movie. Another Costner movie, obviously. Yep. Yeah, probably. I was going to say it's his best baseball movie. He ended up doing three. Are there any more than, than Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, and For Love of the Game? I, what's Bull Durham about? Never even heard of it. <laughs> I, I, I've never actually watched that one. Which is amazing. But then, Wh- I, Which also is why it's our second movie we're going to Oh, is doing. it? Yeah. Yeah, deep tease there. <laughs> <laughs> so then I also want to throw something more top or more uh, present day. So I put Moneyball in my top five. Okay. Because that's one for me. I lived through that whole situation. I know it's a fantasy movie, but... It actually talks about something that's real. And then the number, the movie 42, I enjoyed. Yeah. So those are my top five. Feel the Dreams is in it as well. It's hard to not include it. And I always have a hard time, especially when I get to the top of the list. Sure. With the favorites, breaking down exactly, is this number one? Is this number two? Where do I put it? I, I definitely have Feel the Dreams and Bull Durham both at the top. For Love of the Game, that was one I actually didn't watch. I didn't see it when it was in theaters. It it took me a few years because I think it was like uh, Costner's doing a another baseball movie, huh? And now he's he's in his forties instead of. But the that movie guy. touches and all that. No, but it does. We'll, we'll get it to does. that another time. It does. It does. But so easily, it's one or two for me. And let's let's go ahead and get to what we've touched on a few times: baseball movie relationship movie it, it, because that always seems to be the biggest question but even though you did bring up a great point about the sci-fi because there are those elements in there yeah. as well to seeing me, shoeless joe disappear through the cornfield towards the end there i'm like <laughs> yeah that's right that's right what great special effects to me i mean it's a movie that's about real relationships with baseball as both a big part of the movie and and the backdrop as well it's a vehicle baseball is to help tell the story about the relationships, because obviously you can't deny the relationships and the baseball and how that connects the relationships. And I mean, 
It was made in 1989, so there was far more romanticism about baseball then than there is now. So I, I think that also kind of helps carry it. But what I think is so great that really it's both. It's relationships and it's baseball. And if you look at how or why most movies or TV shows or whatever have sort of universal appeal, I think it has to be more about just what the subject is, and especially with sports movies. Because, like, again, you haven't seen Bull Durham, but you're going to see a lot of that in there as well as more comedy, obviously. But, like, were you a Game of Thrones watcher? I was, yeah. Okay, so you'll you'll know all these references. And when you look at... When you look at Game of Thrones, it's not just about a bunch of medieval guys chasing the throne and who's going to rule at the end. It's all these relationships and how these people are interacting that carry the story, like Tyrion and his dad, for example. They set this tone on Game of Thrones with all these little storylines. And then after three or four or five seasons, then you start to get a mixing. Right. So you cared about each one individually. Right. Before they all converged. But – I, I think this movie particularly is all about the father-son relationship. Yeah. It's what the movie opens with, and then you get to the point where he breaks down and he goes – I don't remember the exact quote, but he's like, well, why Why am I the one? Because everybody else that he had met through his thing – Got to like, do something. They all had a role. They why all him? had a purpose. Yeah, why him? Why I built him? the field. Yeah, <laughs> and the, right. And, and he's and, going broke. He's losing, like, his, You're not he's losing his farm. Yeah, yeah that's right. Wait a second. Wait a second. Why him? I built this field. You wouldn't be here if it weren't for me. Well, you wouldn't be here if it weren't. Attached. You have a family. I know, but I want to know what's out there. I want to see it. But you're not invited. Not invited. What do you mean? I'm not invited. That's my corn out there. You guys are guests in my corn. Right. No, wait. I have done everything I've been asked to do. I didn't understand it, but I've done it, and I haven't once asked what's in it for me. What are you saying, Ray? I'm saying, what's in it for me? Is that why you did this? For you? I think you better stay here, Ray. Why? Ray, there was a reason they chose me, just as there was a reason they chose you in this field. Why? I gave an interview. What what interview? What are you talking about? The one about Ebbets Field, one that charged you up and sent you all the way to Boston to find me. You lied to me. But you were kidnapping me at the time, you big jerk. Well, you lied to me. You said your finger was a gun. The Ray Liotta character, Shoeless Joe, doesn't really give an answer, and then he kind of walks off, and then all of a sudden his dad appears. Yeah. And then his wife and his grandchild. If you are, build it, yep, he, he will, will come. Which, by the way, I looked it up. There was another list that said that was the most misquoted movie quote. It was number six all time. A lot of people say they. Right. They will come. So, And, it, and it's, I think that has more about to do with the daughter, Karen, saying people will come. Right. And then or James is, Earl Jones, when he starts his big speech, people will most definitely. He might have said they in there someplace, but the yeah, but the original. Or I think I think people forget that that it's just Shoeless Joe the first time, and they think it's just the Black Sox coming back, all of those guys. So then yeah. they come out of the yeah. corn. But yeah, it's he will come. Even though Shoeless Joe, Ray's dad's hero, comes right. through, it's obviously about getting to Ray's dad. So again, it's about those relationships and how. Baseball and all of that stuff takes you to the end where you needed to be. Sure, and I read a thing that said that Costner had a problem. Not a problem, but he had a lot of pressure on himself for that last scene because he wanted to shoot it at twilight and playing catch with his dad. Yeah, you did a lot of good research. Well, uh, you know, I'm trying to keep up with you. It's hard to do. (laughs) I have like... I didn't think you knew how to work the internet, so I had to do all the research. (laughs) We both have like 20 pages of scribbled notes, which is amazing because we're both from the computer 
age now, and, and we're both sitting here with uh, with notepads, scribbling down notes, watching movies. Yeah, I had to pause a couple times. I did too. Yeah, especially with the quotes. Yeah, to keep up with. Yeah, I just I was like, I'll just mention the scene, and you'll remember it. Yeah. Did you know? Here's another one that's fun. Uh, I guess that they had to teach Ray Liotta how to swing a bat. And I heard that. Well, I mean, I know that Shoeless Joe was actually left-handed. Right. Leota tried, I guess, to and get a trainer, and it just never happened. He's – you want to talk about characters real quick or, or yeah, where you want to go with this? But, yeah, that's – I the, the Twilight thing, before you get away with that, where he's having the catch with his dad, I guess the actor playing uh, Ray's dad, he was – because of the fact that they were trying to time it just right – he was so conscious about catching the ball. Yeah, that's what he said. He was missing. Where he's like, he's kind of catching it in his chest with that old-time catcher's mitt. Yeah. And then they had a helicopter flying above to try and get a, the last scene. As they, not Maybe not little special effects, but they zoomed out from that scene. And there's a helicopter above and everything and trying to deliver lines. He said that was one of the most difficult scenes he's ever done. Costner. Oh, trying to get it in a certain amount of time. Right, because he only right had way. 20 minutes with that twilight. Yeah, There's obviously a lot of emotion involved. In that, yeah. In, uh, in so both you want to go to characters now? Well, where do you want to go? Do you want to go to characters? Well, sure. Um, I think one of the most interesting things is that Tom Hanks was originally thought of for the to, role, yeah. and Costner, because he had just done Bull Durham, he really didn't know if he wanted to do another baseball movie right away. Do you think? I think Tom Hanks could have pulled off the emotional, the acting part. Of the whole thing. I'm not as sure about the baseball part because Kevin Costner is a huge baseball guy. Played baseball connections back to when when uh, Augie Garrido was at Cal State Fullerton, the baseball coach there. And so he's got he just baseball was so much of part of his background. I think Hanks could have done again like the the he could have acted part. Yeah. But I don't know about the baseball part of it. Yeah. And I mean, I think at that point was. Tom Hanks, you know, this is your era, but Tom Hanks was more uh, <laughs> established already than Costner was, right? Costner had done a little bit. I think they were both. Costner close. did Bull Durham, but he, he was just starting because No Way Out, which obviously had nothing to do with sports, he was actually a Russian spy in the <laughs> in the Navy. I don't know if you ever saw that one, but that I think that was kind of the start of his rise, and then Bull Durham was right around. After that, so he was, yeah, he was definitely just starting to take off at that point. And I think Field of Dreams really kind of solidified him. And, yeah, and maybe it was the Untouchables, too. That well, was I was right going to say, I wrote there. down Untouchables because that was after this. And then so was Dances with Wolves, and that's really yeah. when Costner took off. Yeah. But Hanks already had Splash, The Burbs, like a couple movies like that. That That's true. He Splash. Was in, that was 84, I believe. Yeah, Splash was the big, yeah, yeah. And so. <laughs> and he had, he had, uh. Done Perfect Strangers as well. <laughs> no, I've never Which seen that one. I don't that know if one, that so. set him up. But <laughs> uh, he also did uh, Big by then, I think. Hanks. Yeah. So he was, I don't know what Which that. Which was kind of his launch. Yeah, that's true. So I don't know what that movie would have been like with Hanks. I, can, I don't see the character being as dynamic. I don't either. And like when I, when I look, yeah. So, I mean, Costner, I think, was, was a perfect fit for that movie. I'm glad he ended up doing it because really it ends up being – Maybe along with Dances with Wolves, one of the two defining things that he's done. Right. Is into, or most identified, along with Bull Durham as well. Well, as I said, I'll wait till next week to put judgment on that, but was this one bigger for him than Bull Durham was? That's a good question. Because I haven't seen Bull Durham yet. So this one, to me, I've heard of 
even if you've never watched Field of Dreams, you've heard of it, and you know the the quotes and yeah. the lines. It's amazing that as a sports fan and as a guy who watches <laughs> movies, you haven't seen Bull Durham, and that's we're gonna we're doing that next week. So. So well, stay tuned. For I make that. a point to watch any movie where the White Sox are the bad guys. So Black <laughs> Sox, Major League, those. Uh, I think Little Big League, even the White Sox were kind of the enemy. So yeah, I always make a point to watch those. And some of the other roles in that, Jimmy Stewart was the original choice to be Doc Graham. Moon, you know, the older Which Moonlight been great, Graham, yeah. obviously. And they kind of give him a little homage with the "It's a Wonderful Life." On the old black and white TV set. Right. And he tells her to turn it off because he goes, that's not funny. That's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He's sick. Yeah. So he turned it down. Burt Lancaster was awesome, I thought. Which is also his last movie. Yeah. And Burt Lancaster, again, he originally wasn't going to do it, I guess, because he didn't really get the whole thing. But I'm glad he did because, like, when when you look back, the, the scene... Where he's, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but the scene where, where, where they're in the office and they're talking about the opportunities and that whole thing was just awesome. Just a great scene, I thought. I'm almost, the movie, I think it would have been okay without him, but how much did that add? Like, I thought that was wonderful because mm-hmm. they could have not included this guy. And he was the one that stepped off the field, too, yeah. which is incredible. Then when he saved the girl's life after the bad parenting scene. The or what you want to call it? Yeah, yeah. Well, the bad uncle scene, yeah. where well, he picks her up and. <laughs> but how how quick do they just forgive him for that? Because then all of a sudden he sees the players like, no, we're we're not selling the farm. That's true too. Wouldn't you be still kind of mad about that? That's true too. Yeah. The fact that where are you picking up my daughter? From, <laughs> right. To begin with, at the top of a bleacher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then dropping her. Yeah, yeah. That that does go unmentioned. <laughs> but it's a feel good movie, so you can't. Oh, the James well, Earl Jones role. James Earl Jones was great, and again, mm-hmm. we'll get to this in a minute with some of our favorite scenes. The only guy, again, because you have to think about 1989, and I went back, kind of. The only guy I could think of was like maybe Morgan Freeman, distinct voice, dis, you know, right. kind of distinct. He had. Driving Miss Daisy kind of around that time. I couldn't really think of anyone else who had the big enough personality, especially for carrying out what he had to really, do. Yeah, the, 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 the scene and the speech. This Well, even going back before that, the scene when he's in the apartment and he starts to fan the air at him and he says – you know, go back to the 60s, you hippie <laughs> or whatever. You know, yeah. You're from the 60s. Yeah. That, I was, wow. And then he comes back in with a gun in his pocket. The fake gun, obviously, but Just I thought finger. he did. I thought he did a great job. What was interesting, I guess James Earl Jones didn't want the role either, because he doesn't like baseball. But he read the speech that they wanted him to deliver towards the end, and then he's like, "Well, that's a great speech. I'll give that." And that's what brought him into the movie. Yeah, and it, and it obviously again, like when you talk about because you think about James Earl Jones, we all know him. He might best be known for this is CNN as much as anything, right. or playing Darth Vader's. Voice, but other than that, like as far as on screen, this is probably the one that, especially if you're fifty and under, probably remember That's James you Earl see Jones him the most. from the most. Yeah, I would have to say. And the fact he was playing a writer was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, he, I mean, I don't know. There's just something about kind him of his that aura, yeah, that feels like it's and, right. Yeah, yeah, yep. cast. You know, typecast. So let's let's combine well, favorite scenes. If did you have something? I else? had one more character okay. I want to talk about. One, okay, you. Well, about favorite characters. Okay. My favorite was actually the Shoeless Joe character, Ray Liotta. Really? I mean, he's obviously going on to have a great career, minus his medical commercials he does now about quitting smoking or whatever. <laughs> but he's um, that was his first big role, too, before yeah. he did Goodfellas, before he did anything. 
And without him, I think he's a catalyst early on in the movie that starts to um, give Costner the reason to keep the field and shows up and See, asks I'm if he not can bring friends. I'm not a fan of Leota as Shoeless Joe, though. Yeah? and I, But I still had a hard time figuring out who else would have done it. Like, would it have been John Cusack? Because he did Eight Men Out. Well, I was going to say, and that's weird, too, guys. because Eight Men Out came out six months before this. Yeah. So that's why they think that part of the reason why this whole scandal is rem- uh, romance through this is because that movie softened everybody Sort of a to counter it. to all of the... And they make reference to it when he's like, um, when Leota says something about these lights, I can't see the ball. And then he goes, well, we all have lights now, even Wrigley. Yeah. There's a line in the book that says, they, well, every stadium has lights but Wrigley. Ah. So they're paying homage to the book there. They had to change there. it because that was – and it was right in that time period where right. Wrigley got the field. Wrigley had lights, lights that, that yeah. summer. Yep. Yeah. That's right. That's right. But then he goes, owners, because that's <laughs> what the whole Black Sox scandal is about. I just always thought because Shoeless Joe is thought of more – honestly, as, as kind of a – Idiot? Yeah. Yeah, is that what you're going to go with? Where, whereas Leota was had a harder edge to him than I've always thought about – Shoeless Joe, and again, like when you watch sure. Eight Men Out, the 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 portrayal there is night and day different. Sure, I mean in real life, Shoeless Joe was just a farmer that didn't know how to read or write and just was good at ball. But now you're talking about a movie where you got to have, you know, it's not always to fact, Sean. I don't know if you knew that, but it kind <laughs> of fantasizes some things. I know. That when he disappears in the corn, that wasn't really. We either. are talking about fantasy. Yeah. That's right. But sci-fi, so, as you say. So in this movie. Version. I know he didn't replicate the character because also they talk about Ty Cobb. So you can live with it because it served the purpose right. of the movie enough. Because like Ty Cobb, he goes, oh, we didn't I like him too. when he was alive. And Ty Cobb, they were actually best friends. Yeah. So True. So you suspend belief. Yeah. And I think supposedly the, the thing about Babe Ruth imitating his swing, I don't know if that was true. Either. Huh. I think I might have seen that someplace. So favorite scenes, favorite lines. And I want to start with one we were just talking about, the – the Moonlight Graham or the Dot Graham, actually, yeah. when they when he gets to Minnesota, the scene you talked about as well with James Earl Jones. We could talk about that in a minute if you want. But the sure. one where, okay, so first Costner is walking outside the hotel because Terrence Mann has to call his dad because he thought that he was missing. missing. So he's yeah. just he's just kind of killing time. And the next thing you know, he looks up and it, the uh, movie marquee says The Godfather. What? One of this year's <laughs> biggest hits. <laughs> yeah. And then he looks at a license plate and he sees 72 on there. And it's like, okay. So now Kevin Costner has traveled back in time and then Which, he encounters Because it, they also tie that in, obviously, with the guy at the bar that they were interviewing that said that Graham always had umbrella with him. Right. So that's why he could see that shadowy figure and know who it was. Yep, exactly. So they're, they're talking about Doc giving up or a moonlight. I guess. Obviously, they're one and the same, but... No one's called me Moonlight, Graham, for 50 years. And they, they talk about walking away after he had his one at bat. The season was over. He got sent down. and It was the last day of the season. Bottom of the eighth inning. We were way ahead. I'd been up with the club about, uh, oh, about three weeks, but I hadn't seen any action. Suddenly, old John McGraw points a bony finger in my direction, and he says, right field. Yes, sir. I jumped up like I was uh, sitting on a spring, grabbed my glove, and ran out on the field. Did you get to make a play? You never hit the ball out of the infield. Game ended, the season was over. I knew they sent me back down. I couldn't bear the thought of another year in the minors. So I... I decided to hang them up. 
checks it out. Thank you. So what was that like? It was like having this close to your dreams. And then watch them brush past you like a stranger in a crowd. At the time, you don't think much of it. You know, we just don't recognize the most significant moments of our lives while they're happening. Back then, I thought, well, there'll be other days. I didn't realize that that was the only day. Burt Lancaster and the way he delivers those lines is Beautiful. just awesome. And maybe Jimmy Stewart could have done just as well. Oh, but, I, but Burt, yeah, it would have been a little <laughs> yeah. different. But Burt Lancaster and that whole scene, because again, that goes to, we talked about relationships before, it goes to like, Things that happen to every one of us. We think there's there's always a fork in the road moment like when you look back at your life and you, you always, especially if you're having maybe a lull in your life or that's personal, professional, whatever it happens to be, what if I had gone left instead of right? We've all had those sure. moments. And then he, t- you know, because now this is, this is over 50 years later when he looks back on how much he meant. To the people of Chisholm, Minnesota. Yeah. Well, then it goes to the end of that that whole scene where the last thing he said was, like, I don't remember the verbatim because I didn't write it down because it wasn't my favorite scene. But he <laughs> says okay. he says to the fact of, um, yeah, but imagine if I hadn't become a doctor. Right. You know, so it's that like would have left, been that would have been a tragedy. It's a left versus right thing you're saying. Like, yeah, yeah, he could have stayed with baseball or tried to go through the minors and make it back up to the majors. And who knows what could have happened. But it's always that what if, what if. And he's exploring and almost has the resolve of I'm okay with what happened here that first time that Kevin Costner Ray when Karen sees the man on the field and then he goes out there and there's very little actual dialogue going on mm-hmm. and he basically you know they 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 talk about pitching to him and he's mm-hmm. like well, don't we need a catcher <laughs> Well, yeah, first he's like, can you pitch? Not yeah, bad. Not bad. Do we need a catcher? Not if you can not get a, it near the plate. Yeah. Well, <laughs> then see if you can hit my curve. And I guess that the, that pitch where Coster, see if you can hit my curve, Leota lines it off the bag of balls that was sitting next to Costner. And apparently that was real. That was like live. And Costner kept ad-libbing through that scene and just reacted to that. He said, yep, yep, you can hit Well, the I'm curve. really glad you said that. Um, you just took all my thunder. That was my favorite scene. <laughs> I, I mean, I read I read some of the articles Sorry, before we watched the movie, and I was like, "Well, I can't wait to see this we're one." We're allowed then, to have the same favorite scenes. No, okay? we're not. <laughs> that means we agree, and we're that's what we're not supposed to do. All right. No, but when he hits the bag, and then they said that Costner stayed in character the whole time through it, and he ad libbed like, "Oh, okay." Well, I remember the exact verbatim. Voice you use said. Google too much for this project, I think. That's the problem. I used IMDb too much for this project. <laughs> that's right. the problem. <laughs> What else? What are some other favorite scenes of yours? Well, since I uh, stole one of yours. Well, I mean, favorite scene and favorite line kind of tie together for me. It's the whole speech that um, James Earl Jones gives about um, when he's sitting in front of the bleachers talking about why you shouldn't sell the farm and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And uh, I even broke it down because he says a long, beautiful speech. It's, it's great. The whole thing is wonderful. But the line that says one constant baseball. I think that's great. One constant through all the time has been baseball. Because he goes, and this story, the Black Sox were 1919, and then you know, these guys have been dead, they come back, and the game's still the same. They can just come to this field in Iowa, and it's the, the same game. They can play, and then even people like Moonlight Graham or whoever, whatever era they're from, people coming to watch them play, yes, part of it's the fantasy value of this, this Shoeless Joe playing mm-hmm. a ball game. 
But in part of it, it's just it's the same baseball game that you can see today, just out in the middle of Iowa in a cornfield. People will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door, as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you say. It's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it is money they have, and peace they like. Ray, just sign the papers. And they'll walk out to the bleachers. Sit in shirt sleeves on a perfect afternoon. They'll find they have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines. Where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they'll watch the game. And it'll be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick they'll have to brush them away from their faces. Ray, when the bank opens in the morning, they'll foreclose. People will come, Ray. You're broke, Ray. You sell now or you lose everything. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good, and it could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. Everything that involved Kevin Costner, James Earl Jones, Burt Lancaster was like gold to me. Because I, I think the, the first... 45 minutes or so of the movie you're setting up before he heads off to Boston. And there was good stuff there, too, including the scene that you just talked about when he and Shoeless Joe interact for the first time. But, like, all of that, the acting in those scenes was just on point. We kind of talked about it before when when James Earl Jones has the bug spray <laughs> thing and he's chasing him out. Go back to the 60s in yeah. the in the finger and the whole thing. Yeah, I I mean, I think that the second half of the movie, and I was, I kept, when I'd take pause to write my notes, I'd be like, wow, there's still an hour 20 left, or there's an hour 15 left. But then the last, like, 50 minutes of it just flew by. I think it's really easy to watch. And like you say, you kind of get lost in the relationships and the characters of the people. Well, and the one relationship, the wife, because that, I, I look at that, and, and like, that is one supportive wife yeah i i thought about that too <laughs> i know you're not married i am but like 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 if that was me convincing my wife to plow under the corn i don't think that would have happened the going to boston thing it's like sure go find yourself do what you need to do <laughs> yeah. have your fun find your little guy whatever but the plowing under of the corn first that would have been a major issue yeah that's your livelihood that's yeah. your money and it took him what 30 seconds to do it yeah, exactly. And she goes, well, if you want to plow it, go ahead and do it. Yeah. And that's what uh, this movie, I, for some reason, thinking about it back, I thought that whole process took longer. But no, within the first 20 minutes, he's already plowed up his whole field, left his whole farm, and has the field yeah. ready to go. Just go to Boston. Yeah. And then, that's yeah. what you got to do now. Well, we don't have enough money for you to go to Boston. Well, but I need to. Okay, go to Boston. And they, I, well, they I saw it in dream. this dream, too. Yeah, and that obviously 
without that little connection there, she might not have been quite as uh, willing. But yeah, but then that's, he, again, the magic of movies. How about supportive? And then he didn't support her at that PTO meeting. And that's that's he, what I want to kind of get to next. Not that it's my favorite scene, but does the movie hold up over time? And <laughs> and so I look at that scene and what that reminds me of. Like, do they have PTA meetings anymore at schools? For one. When they go to talk I about been banning to books, in a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Do they ban books anymore? I mean, the town hall now. Do they have books anymore? Yeah, I know. <laughs> and the town hall now is basically people yelling at each other on Facebook and Twitter, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. And that's like, so I'm thinking about that scene. If it did happen today, the first thing you would see is 20 people going home, or maybe even from their seats right there, and posting. Two women screaming at each other in Absolutely. the middle of this meeting. That's what it would be. Yeah, it'd go viral. Then you see the other three phones that had it too. Yeah, and and the fact that she swayed that much opinion in such a short amount of time, I kind of had a hard time with that as well. Yeah, that kind of touches on its Midwest, right? Yeah. And I, I wasn't alive back then, so I don't know what the book burnings and like stuff like that was. Mm-hmm. But it just seems kind of silly that – especially a book that wasn't very controversial – and they're calling it pornography and how bad it was. Right. I think that shows the times and the that was good for the movie to touch on Iowa. Because like in New York, I'm sure it wasn't the same or no. California. But in Iowa, maybe it was a big deal. Small town Iowa. Yep, yeah. Very strong reaction. And then the other thing, obviously, they had to use pay phones. We're, we're all using cell phones now. Not that minor thing. But I mean, obviously, again, when you talk about holding up over time. But then – Ray having to go to the library to research Terrence Mann. On microfilm. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's – see, I'll date myself because that was like for me when I was in college, early to mid-90s, that was like right before internet searches were started. There was internet. Don't get me wrong. Not that old. But yeah, we still had <laughs> to different. do – You had to go to the microfiche and, and find yeah. all that stuff. And obviously now you're doing that research in like 10 minutes with Google. So – yeah, yeah spending all day at the library. I'm not super young, so I think it's still cool to see the microfilm and stuff. <laughs> I remember in college they made me do a project where we had to go back and research on microfilm just so we'd be comfortable with it. Just to make you it. do it yep. in case it ever had to happen yep. as if it's ever going to happen it's again. Never, I don't even know. I don't remember how to use it or anything. <laughs> but Yeah, see, I was I was splicing reel-to-reel. <laughs> so did you have to do any of that? No. Yeah, they made us splice reel-to-reel. And again, this, this is like, like now – what we what we record into everyone's recording into a digital recording program for the most part back then you had maybe a pocket tape recorder if you were doing radio there was there really weren't any digital devices or anything like that well, so. this doesn't really touch on the movie but it's funny like if you cover sports like yeah, we I know are you jumping do. out a little bit <laughs> but um you see like different people of different ages with different mediums some people still have a recorder some people have a microphone go into True. a little thing some people just have their phone some people just have a little thing in their pocket it's just different so what about you any anything that really doesn't hold up other than that again i went through the movie trying to find stuff that wouldn't hold up and then i went into it more with it's about <laughs> the, the fantasy <laughs> yeah well no it's the fantasy it's the characters it's their relationship so mm-hmm. i think it all kind of does hold up because to me, I got lost in the movie. It's because it, Father's Day's coming up or whatever, or after. I don't know when this See, is See, and happening. I hadn't even thought about that. But that's a very good point about – I was thinking more about the connection to the 30th anniversary, but Father's Day is. I mean, it's less than a week away now. So then he comes out and has catch with his dad, and that's the last audible scene of the movie. So I think when you talk about relationships like that, of course they're going to hold up because then to me it's more of a relationship movie with sci-fi scenes involved. 
I agree. But it casts a big net on those relationships, and that's why it's held up over the years, and that's why it was so popular. And that's why people that haven't even seen the movie know the lines or they've heard of it or they know of it about this baseball field in Iowa. And it, I mean it holds up because there's still a field in Iowa where they film the movie that they still can go to as a, as a stop on your road trip or whatever. And I'm sure you've found all this in your research since you've nailed all the other research points, but apparently – that field was originally built on the property of two different farmers. Have you heard about this? I did not hear that. So it was built on the property of two different farmers. And one of the two farmers decided, I'm going to plant my corn and, and move on and, and just do my thing. The guy who kept the field and decided he was going to commercialize it. The real life field else, of dreams. He's yeah. a millionaire now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> of all, course. Because it, and it's because of all the merchandise. Because And it's something that I'd still like to do sometime, but it's out in the middle of Iowa. Literally, I still haven't done it, but I would like to. Just go out there, and I guess you can you – know, they've got – somebody actually brought me back a coffee mug once, and it's got – the mug is when it's cold, you just see the corn on the outside. When you put hot water or whatever <laughs> in it, the corn evaporates and you see the players. So it's kind of a cool mug. But the yeah, T-shirts, hats. They didn't have that technology in 89 when the movie <laughs> yeah, was that's made. Right. Yeah. That's right. But, the, yeah, and you can go out there, have your catch. And it's a destination. Thing. Yeah, exactly. But all because of the movie. It wouldn't be there without this movie. People will come. Yeah, if you build it. <laughs> yeah. What else? What did we miss? Uh, I don't know what we missed. Uh, I read that it was George Bush's George W. Bush's favorite movie. I believe that. Former, I mean, baseball. Owner former owner and, of a tech yeah. of the Texas Rangers, big baseball guy, loves baseball. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, um, I thought it was pretty cool that uh, anything really bug you about it. I mean, I'm not a huge sci-fi guy, so some of that. Why didn't they investigate that? Why didn't we see what James <laughs> Earl Jones saw when he went in the corn? And was he? And I was wondering. Well, as I watched, got so much time because they were they were pushing. What, what, what were they? Hour, hour forty five at that. Yeah, minute? yeah. But then why? Okay, what did he see? Did I wondered watching it was that his death scene? Is should he there dying? A, should there have been a sequel? Is that well, what you to? I was going to say, was there a sequel? I don't know if there's enough in a sequel to, you know, give you an hour and a half of a movie. Mm-hmm. But there could have been something like, why didn't we get what he wrote out of that that brought all those people? Remember, he said, "I'll write about it," and then basically people will come. Or was that him going in there to die? I'm surprised that someone connected to the movie hasn't written. That like here are here are the notes from Terrence. Mann's oh, I'm trip sure to the there other are. Side, I'm sure there's fan fantasy out any there. Of that stuff. Well, I'm not talking about fan fantasy. I'm you talking like about someone real? actually who is a part of the movie who again could capitalize on some commercial. Even if you didn't yeah. do a, a sequel, should it ever be remade? Do you think? Or is this? To me, you should not touch the classics. And this, this is a classic. This falls into classic for me. It depends how you want to remake it because I think sometimes when you remake it, it's because technology's changed. It's different. Mm-hmm. So there's different avenues for things to happen. I think him going on that stupid little bus all the way up to pick up man and go to Boston, I think that was pretty cool. Yeah. I don't think you need to remake it. I think the character was so well casted. I think if you were to remake it, it would just fall flat. I don't think it could bring the same passion, the same – because the things that made Feel the Dreams great almost are the things that were not surprising but different. Like if you see somebody going into a cornfield again, you're like, yeah, they already did that the first time. How else would you bring them down and back up or well, whatever? And like I think, yeah, the movie is 30 years old, but if you think to 30 years before that, so 1989, 1959, sure. you yeah. were in black and whites, and the technology had changed quite a bit 
by the time 1989 rolled around. And even though there's a lot different technology now, I just I think that it's it's just too memorable, and I think you would mess it up if you tried to redo it again at this point. And that movie came out at a perfect time of baseball. There was still so much passion. People loved baseball. And that's a good point, too. Like when you talk about does it hold up even because it is the – I think baseball might have been around its peak in popularity. Really, it it kind of peaked then. It went away after the strike. That's what I'm saying. Then you get in the 90s and where it, it wasn't came as back popular. With, yeah, it came back with Sosa and McGuire, but then it went away again because of the whole steroid controversy. Right. So, so I think it I think it landed at the perfect time because now if you brought people up, it would just be different. Like, And you couldn't bring up a different group of people than the Black Sox and Shoeless Joe, I don't think, to replicate the movie. So if you took the idea and tried to make a sequel with maybe a different group of people, like maybe, I don't know, like McGuire, because he was on steroids, or you know people like that, but it wouldn't hold up because those people aren't publicly accepted as well. That's very true. And we knew, there's a lot less that we knew about anyone from that early 1900s era compared to now because of obviously media and... and right. And everything else. Yeah, that's a really good point. I don't think you could make anything close to it, right? And to me, and maybe you've got a different opinion, but like the Bad News Bears is one of the few sports movies that I remember being remade. And I don't think that I've seen the remake. And I don't know that I want to because, right. because one, whether you like it or not, the, the lack of political correctness of the yeah. first one makes a lot of that movie. You couldn't do that now, and they didn't do it in the remake. But also, again, I mean, you've got Walter Matthau and just that whole group of kids. And because most of us who remember that, seeing it remade like that, I just think— No interest. Yeah. There's you've no, already seen it, too. Like, why? It depends. Like, if you—to remake any movie, this isn't a sports thing, any movie, you have to have some different take or some different sightline of it. When you just go with, oh, let's just make the same movie again with modern with day, yeah. it doesn't work. Just like The Longest Yard. Oh, yeah. That again, was, that, that was one that I grew up watching when they would show it on late night whatever channel and you'd see Burt Reynolds and the whole thing. And which the, was cool to see him at the end of that one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He scores a last touchdown. That's true. But, yeah, I, you, know, um, you mentioned one more thing I want to mention about this bit, uh, the corn, I guess. Did you hear, did you read that? They were in a huge drought because the dust bowl. Oh, yeah, about the growing of the corn. Go ahead. It's like the first scene of the movie when he's hearing the voice for the first time, which another thing, who played the voice? Yeah, that's a big mystery yeah. still. There's it some just people, says him There's some people who say Ed Harris, I guess. There's some who think it was Ray Liotta, and there are times it sounds like Ray Liotta. And having heard that some people were saying Ed Harris, I didn't think it sounded anything like him. I even heard Costner might have done it, but... It's still, it's still a great mystery. And they're going to go with that. But the first scene where he's in the cornfield and he hears it, I guess he's on an elevated platform because the corn was so low they were worried. And they brought in water from Mississippi to like water that field, just that one. And, and then, then it grew so much. Too much. <laughs> so then he's on a platform and then the rest of the movie they had to like try and make it even out. But then if you look at any of the farms around him, I guess they were all mad because – they weren't having such great years no out there else, in yeah. Iowa. Yeah. Like, hey, come water mine yeah. too. Yeah, just get a little drizzle over here. <laughs> Even more animosity towards the uh, the millionaire now who's sitting on the farm there. Yeah, so. which it's kind of real life, right? He kept the field. He made money. He did. I mean, it's art it becoming life. Good investment on his part. Good foresight on his part. All right. So uh, that's our Field of Dreams, episode one of two guys talking sports movies. And... 
Just a quick tease of what we're looking at for next time. Bull Durham. Bull Durham. And we've mentioned this a couple times. I hear Costner's in it. Bobby has never seen Bull Durham. Well, I was three when it came out. So Well, but you were four when Field of Dreams came out. You but it's more, you that. said, you're the one that said it was a classic. Is Bull Durham a classic? To a lot of people it is. A lot of people would put Bull Durham at the top of the sports list movie. By the way, over the course of these podcasts that we're doing, there are some different lists that I have seen that, that rank like the top 100 sports movies. I'm a little baffled by it. That's something that I think will need to become a podcast of its own someplace down the road. But uh, Bull Durham, and it's so it's going to be a really interesting take for me, someone who's seen it several times and knows a lot of the lines, and then Bobby, who has never seen Bull Durham, getting your fresh take on what a lot of people consider possibly the top sports movie of all time. But again, I know it's one of your favorite movies, so I'm already so going with that. Yeah, I'm already it. going with negative attitude right off the bat. All right, well, good stuff. We yeah. will talk to uh, talk to you next time. Well, we'll try again next time. Two guys talking sports movies. Later. Can I ask you something? Is, is this heaven? It's Iowa. Iowa? Is there a heaven? Oh, yeah. It's the place dreams come true. Catch.